Um, man, I love when we have one service and we break every fire code in Smith County. It is awesome for everyone to be here together. Hey, my name is Mike Hall. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Bethel. Obviously, Eric is not up today, but I am here today. Uh, he's the guy that does a lot of good things with words. I don't. Uh, so, But you're going to have to hang with me, and I think we're going to have a fun time this, uh, this morning. So when Eric asked if I would teach this morning, I said, sure. I said, are we you know, going through the Corinthian series? Like, you know what? This one, we're taking a, a one-off. So it can be about anything. All right. And of course, being January 31st, started looking through and thinking, okay, so what would, December 31st, I'm so glad you're here back again today, Hannah. Uh, really, that's helpful. If you would do that throughout the whole service, you got me. All right. These are my notes. Just hang on to those. And we're good. Yeah, December 31st, and we're going to go, hey, what, what do you teach on here at the beginning or end of a, a year? And so you quickly think, okay, we could look at looking at the, the year past, right, Dece- the 2023. What has God done? What, what can we reflect on? How can we see and remember the things that he's done in our life? And we can look at the Old Testament and think about Ebenezer's that were built and, and uh Little rocks you'd stack up on top of themselves to remember, hey, this is the thing that God did on this day. Or we could look in the future. We could look, hey, let's look at 2024 and go, how do we plan and think about what God might do? We could look at James and say, hey, let's, you know, not just say we're going to go start this business and do this thing, but say, hey, if it's in God's will, let's do that. And that we don't want to outdrive his headlights. I started playing, thinking through that. Um, but that's really kind of it. Hey, we reflect on what God's done, or we plan for what God might do in the future. And that's the sermon. That's it. You got it now. So if you would stand for a benediction. So I start looking at that. My tendency is to look toward the future uh, and to look toward goals and planning and what's next and how do we do that. And so as I started reading that and, and looking, um, I was looking at Jesus. And the more I looked at the person of Jesus, the more I realized, you know, yes, Jesus planned. He knew where he was going to go. He did those. But his mission and his goal and his focus, well, he did nothing that the Father did not tell him to do. He was so in tune with the Lord, the Father, that as he went through life, his focus was people and his mission was people. So I thought, right, as we kick off and start off this new year, I want us to take a moment and look at Jesus and look at who he is and what he's about, and maybe we'll see Jesus in a, a different way. And I also want to like, take a look at us and who we are and how we respond to who Jesus is. Now, uh, for some of you who don't know, I have uh, four kids. Some of them are here today. Uh, a couple of them figured out how to go skiing instead, which is awesome for them. Um, I have one uh, wife, <laughs> most of us married who did. We're no one's in Utah here. Uh, Heather, sorry. See, I don't do words. Um, he- Heather is my one wife. And if you, uh, if you didn't know, Heather is a, a professional counselor. And if you are not married to a professional counselor, you might think that that would be pretty cool. 
and sometimes it is. Uh, but her, one of her superpowers is that she very quickly sees the thing under the thing. And she knows, she knows very quickly what it is. So there'll be a time we're driving and I'll snap at the kids about something. Something small. I told you to roll up the window. And she'll look and she'll go, what's going on? I'm like, well, I told them to roll up the window and they didn't roll up the window. <laughs> you frustrated about something? Yeah, I didn't get all my stuff done today that I wanted to get done. Right? She very quickly goes, it's not about the window. There's something below that. But she doesn't stop there. No. You didn't get all the things done today, huh? No. I wonder why that's so important. <sighs> yes, it's because I feel like I want to accomplish something. Huh. You want to accomplish something. Yeah. Because I get self-worth out of that. Oh, you get self-worth out of accomplishing things, huh? Yeah, because your identity is in what you do and that I believe in the lie that, that somehow what I do uh, gives me worth and value and that my value in itself isn't, I just wanted to freaking have a roll up the window, right? <laughs> That's it. But as you start unpacking the thing under the thing, uh, well, that's often the thing that Jesus, the Lord, is concerned with. And that sometimes we live on the frustration level of the window is not rolled up, but there's a thing under the thing that God wants to actually heal. And that our world that we see as the physical world out here, and what we do, there's an underlying spiritual world that God is very concerned with, that is very connected to our physical world because it's what we see and feel and maybe it's our default think. But God is concerned with our spiritual world. And here, we're gonna get to look at the thing under the thing, how Jesus is able to look and see the thing under our thing and heal that. So if you turn, we are gonna look at a story that many of you know. The woman at the well, um, John chapter Four. And so if you've got your Bible, flip to John chapter 4. If you don't, we'll stick it up on the screen. And we're going to start right here in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Shinchar, where the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Uh, it was about the sixth hour. Uh, so here's where the location is important. We're talking Samaria. This is a historical place, a place where Jacob's bones were buried. But a thing about Samaria, so Jews, Jews hated Samaritans. And so when Jesus said, I had to go to Samaria, they'd be like going, I have to go to a septic system. I had to go to Louisiana. I had to go to like some place that you would not want to go, right? You would not want to go to Samaria. And he, here's why. Here's what happened. So there's uh, all of uh, southern Israel and uh, the 
Assyria conquered the northern part, and then they started intermarrying, and then they started bringing all of their religious practices to the northern area. And so uh, they built this false temple, and they would worship uh, sort of some to Yahweh, but some also to Jupiter, which I don't know why Jupiter. That makes no sense to me, but they did. They, they were worshiping to Jupiter and Yahweh and all intermarried. And so the Jews down south would just look at them and go, they're corrupting our people. They're corrupting our faith. These Samaritans, they're, they're horrible people. And of course, this is why we have, uh, you know, stories that Jesus talks about the Samaritans, almost to kind of show Jesus, hey, they're people, or show the Jews, hey, these are people. These are uh, people just like you are. But uh, the Jews hated Samaria. In fact, when you would travel to Samaria, which is just straight north, they would cross the sea to come over, go, to this, go completely out of their way, in order to just avoid the entire country. And so I know there's places I don't like to go to or go through, but I'm not going to avoid a state, right, in order to, to get somewhere else. But that's the, the hatred that, and the disdain that the, uh, the Jews had for Samaria. So when Jesus said, I had to go to Samaria, uh, the Jews go, what do you mean you have to? Which is going to later find out, is going to say something about who, who Jesus is. And it's also going to tell us something about maybe Jesus' mission and who this woman is as well. So Jesus, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. This is exactly what the Jews would feared would happen. Here she is. Great. Samaritan. She came to draw water. So when she did this, she would have these five-gallon water kind of skins. So it would weigh about 40 pounds. It was a heavy deal. You would never go in the middle of the day, which the sixth hour was the middle of the day. You would never go in the middle of the day uh, in order to draw water. The only reason you would do that is because you were trying to avoid people or people were trying to avoid you. So it gives us a, a little bit of a glimpse of who this woman is, that she was an outcast among the outcasts. So as we look through the story, I want to take a glimpse of who Jesus is in the story and who this woman is in this story. And I, I do believe it's going to give us a different, maybe a fresh picture of who our Savior is. And I bet there's going to be places where this woman and how this woman interacts with Jesus that might be insightful to who we are. So in verse 7, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so first let's talk about Jesus give me a drink. Now, the way that she would give him a drink is through this pouch, right? She, he didn't bring his own Yeti with a double filtration system. This, is, this would be backwash among backwash because she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. The thought of drinking after a woman in, in that culture and drinking after a Samaritan would be, would be horrific for them. Uh, a Jewish reader, it would be like, you know how some people, when they get thirsty and they talk and they've got the, those little spit lines between their mouth? It would be worse than drinking after that person, right? He'd go, this is, this is disgusting to them. 
And so, uh, first of all, is Jesus to say, hey, uh, give me a drink. Jesus knows that this is the culture. Jesus knows what Jews think about Samaritans. Jesus knows what Samaritans, uh, what Samaritans, Jesus knows that Samaritans know what Jews think about them. So for him to say, just give me a drink, might tell us something about, no, it does. It does tell us something about who Jesus is. That there might be a place in your life where you go, I'm, I'm dirty here. I'm kind of disgusting in this area. And Jesus goes, ah, I know you think that. Give me, give me a drink. But woman, let's look at her. She says, how is it? Right? How is it that you could give me a drink? How is it that we could have a relationship? For you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Now, what she said is true, right? He's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. How, how is it that you could ask me for a drink? But I wonder if the woman is also thinking about the thing under the thing. Maybe she's thinking about it. Maybe she's not. Maybe it's just subconscious to her and that she knows I've got to avoid this person. That, that yes, it is true. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. But I also don't feel really good about myself. I also know there's some things I've done in the past. In fact, there's some things I'm doing right now that doesn't make me feel real good about myself. I, I don't want to talk about those. So instead, I'm going to just put this out here. Hey, hey, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How, how can you ask me for a drink? You know, the, there's the thing under the thing. Um, but here's where we get to see Jesus who knows it and goes, my grace goes there too. In fact, my gospel is for that thing. So in verse 10, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus, he's going, if you knew who I was, right? In a gentle way. He doesn't, I, I'm God, you moron. No. I, and in fact, if your picture is a picture of God who's just ready to get you, that, that might be something to rethink. That Jesus says, hey, no, 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 no. I, I've got something greater. I've got living water. And for the woman, this living water, it gets her attention, All right? So water was a, a matter of life and death. You had to get it. You had to get it every day. Uh, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't stop getting water. And um, for him to say living water, where you never have to drink again, is a little bit of that money tree, right? It's when, you, uh, when the genie gives you three wishes and you go, one of them needs to be a bazillion wishes. It's like this living water that would continue to come. So it sounds good, but she's skeptical, right? Are you greater than, than Jacob here? In the skepticalness, there's a bit of, do you, do you have what it takes to help me? Perhaps your grace isn't, isn't deep enough. 
And so he answers her, right, saying, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be wondering if we could have a relationship. No, no, no. Jacob, yeah, yeah, I, I created him, and I created you. And so Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will be in him a spring of water, willing to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This whole time, Jesus, we'll look at him first, right? He's talking about spiritual things while she's talking about physical things. He starts talking about the water that doesn't just satisfy temporarily, but puts an end to thirst. A water that will give you life now, but for eternity. And the woman, right, all of a sudden you're talking about this living water, this might be the first time that she thinks, maybe we're not talking about the same thing. But she's going, if, if he's got this water that, that keeps me from being thirsty, maybe I don't have to go back here anymore. Maybe I don't have to be reminded uh, anymore about my shame. Maybe I don't have to be reminded anymore about all the people that don't want to be around me or that I can't be around because I can't face them again. So uh, although this living water thing seems mysterious and weird, I'm intrigued. I mean, Jesus, can, can you really take away my shame? Can you really free me from that? And Jesus kind of says, yes, but, but maybe not the way you think. But this is a, a great picture of the spiritual world versus the physical world. Right now, if someone who you trust and care said, hey, what's hard about life right now? I guess it'd be look at all the physical things, right? That you'd say, ah, if only I made a little bit more money. If only I had a boss that wasn't always riding me. If only my spouse would act a certain way. If my kids would finally just do what I'd say just the first time. If my parents wouldn't be so parenty. All of the things. That you look at, these are the problems in my physical world. And Jesus goes, you know what? There's a thing under that thing. Those are real problems, yes. You have real physical problems. But, but there's a spiritual issue. There's a thing underneath that thing that actually... It might not solve that problem, but it might put it into a perspective that makes you go, okay, God is bigger than these issues, and my life is more valuable than these issues, and my belonging and my mission and my purpose is bigger than these physical issues, that we live in a spiritual world, and the spiritual world that we live in is awesome, and God has that for us. So he continues. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right, saying I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Oh, yeah, Jesus. He exposed the thing under the thing for her. He said, hey, I know your life. I know that you have had five men. And of course, in our culture today, 
if you're a woman with a family, that's not awesome. Uh, in Samaria, in the Jewish culture, it was an abomination to be that woman at that point in time. And here's the thing that we can remember back in verse 4, when Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go to this woman. He had to go uh, to her because that's who Jesus is. Jesus, our Lord, is the type of God, is the God that goes, hey, your mess that you've made of your life, the things you've done in your life, that's why I'm here. I don't know what your dad is like, uh, your, your real dad, that if you, when you grew up, you were the type of kid that was like, oh man, I totally messed up. I can't let my dad know about this. Or if you're the dad that said, oh, I messed up, I gotta let my dad know about this. But Jesus, he's the, he's the dad that says, oh, you messed up, I gotta bring this to Jesus. Is that your picture of who Jesus is? That when you're, when you're in the worst part of your life, when you've just messed up in the worst way, when you've sinned again and again and again, is your first response, ah, this, is, this is why Jesus is here. This is why he knows me. This is why he loves me. And to invite him in to those places at that time? Or do you go, well, not now. It's a little bit too fresh. It's a little bit too hard. I, I kind of know who I am. I just said that to my wife because I was mad and I said something that I knew would hurt her. Oh, Jesus, come here now. But that's the Jesus that we have. That's the Jesus that loves us. And then the woman. Can you be so horrible that you can outrun God's grace? The answer is you can't. Maybe something has been done to you that has given you a taste to do unspeakable things. And God is right here for you. Jesus knows that and that there is nothing you can do to outrun his grace. All of us, we don't often talk about how really sinful we are in a real specific kind of way. It's not what we do, especially in this platform, and I'm not going to now or later probably. Um, but I've had lots of conversations with lots of people. And I also know myself. And I know that the depth of our sin is deep. And we're not alone in that. And it's also real easy, especially in an East Texas culture, to keep that at bay. And so as we keep it at bay for our own reputations and with ourselves, we also keep that at bay from the God who wants to enter into that part of our life. This new year, maybe that's the resolution. is to go, Jesus, I want you to come even into those hard places, even to those places that I don't even want to admit to myself. Verse 19 the woman responds maybe the way I would. She said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, so what's going on here? Really quickly, the woman goes, Jesus knows 
the hard places of me. And so what I'm going to do is change the subject. Uh, over here, Jesus, over here, right? I don't want to talk about these five husbands. Let's talk about where we should worship. Let's talk about theology. And keep in mind, right, we'll find out later, Jesus talks about worship in spirit and in truth. But sometimes we use theology or doctrine to not talk about our heart, to not talk about our sin and our places. And we actually sometimes weaponize Scripture. We, we do this offensively and defensively. I'll give you some examples. Offensively, um, let's say you have grandma, and grandma had some trauma or some hard times in her past, and, and everyone knows about grandma, and you feel real bad for grandma, and you empathize with grandma, but because grandma had this hard thing happen to her, grandma became super fearful. And because grandma is super fearful, well, then she became uh, super controlling. And because she became super controlling, she became super religious. And so now, religious grandma uses scripture in order to uh, keep her safe and to control everybody else. And everybody knows that she's doing this, but it's scripture. So you don't really want to say anything bad about it or argue against it. So she creates this uh, environment and this family system where the Bible is used to keep everyone in control. It's a horrible legalistic structure that a, a lot of us are maybe way too familiar with. And so that we've used doctrine in order to mitigate our own fears by controlling other people. Or we can look at it as a defensive way. And that's what happened here, right? That, hey, oh, you're getting too close to something that is real? Let's just talk about the theological implications about that. Oh, you want me to confess something which would heal and free me and be a part of freedom from bondage of sin? That makes me feel uncomfortable. So, so let's not do that. Instead, let's talk about transubstantiation. That should be helpful. Oh. So uh, the, Jesus then dives more into this. He says to the woman in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. We're neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Right? That was the thing with the building the different uh, temples. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells the woman who he is and uh, what he's actually there for. So first, in truth, he's like, hey, the Jews are correct. You, you worship what you don't know. That there is, there is true things. And one of the things that I do love about Bethel Bible Church is we care a lot about truth. We look at scripture and we say, this is God's word. And regardless of what culture is saying, regardless of uh, what we feel, we can know that this, this is true. And this is a way to worship. Jesus says, hey, not only though do we worship in truth, we worship in spirit. Uh, at this point, this probably meant uh, in authenticity at the time, that we worship an authentic God. That we don't just go to church and say words and do some rote things that mean nothing. We don't do this out of duty and obligation. We do this because we have a living God that is real to us and real to us. And so we get to do this in an authentic way, and this is how we worship. 
This is where the, the psalmist right, says, search my heart, O Lord. That, there's a, that, that there are things under the things that we want to worship God in an authentic way that we want to bring it forth to him and say, there are real hard things about me and I, I want to bring that. I want to be authentic. I want to be real in how I worship who God is. Not just put him in a box and do it on this little Sunday morning thing, but this is all of who I am, that there's congruency in life. Uh, one of the things that causes people stress. I think one of the main things that causes people stress is an incongruent life. When you're one way with one pre- a group of people, another way with another group of people, that's why sometimes people get stressed out when the worlds collide because how are they going to know me this way? Uh, but that we want to, our relationship with God is all the time. It's authentic. So here, John could have stopped the story. said, it's great. This is a picture of who Jesus is. This is a picture of who we are. But I love that he continues. He says, hey, so what do we do with this now? Well, first, we drink the water. How do we do that? Well, if you are not a believer, this is what drinking the water looks like. That if you're not, this would be if you're not a Christian, if you're someone that says, I don't believe in God, um, my encouragement would be simply to believe this morning. That to drink the water means to say, hey, that there is a, a God who loves you beyond what you can imagine, knows you better than you know yourself, who has literally taken all of the things under your things and laid them down and died for them so that you could be in relationship with him. So I would invite you simply to believe that. And that's what it looks like to drink the water if you're not a believer. If you are a believer, this new year, I'd ask that you'd ask God to permeate through those things in your heart and in your life, the things under the thing, and to heal them, to bring them up forth, to confess them, to talk with your community about them, to get in a group and say, hey, here, here are the hard things. Here's what it looks like for me to be authentic with community. Second thing that the woman did in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away in town and said to the people, she dropped the bucket. You do something. You make a change. We're very cautious here uh, at Bethel about telling anybody to do anything for fear of legalism. And I love that. Um, so we don't do a thing, right? There is a, there is a call to go in response to God, in response to who Jesus is, that we get, to, we get to do something. And I don't know what dropping the bucket might look like for you. It might be making a change. It might be changing your system. It might be uh, having the courage to be able to explore yourself. But there's an action involved as we respond. And then in verse 28, after the woman left the jar. She went in town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is a savior of the world. That Jesus uh, moved the woman to pursue, pursue people. And this would be my last encouragement. If you are the kind of New Year's resolution person, 
who comes up with goals and objectives, like me, um, make sure that part of that is people. That we have, a, a, we have a great thing here at Bethel downtown. We have people in this church who are sitting next to you who genuinely love Jesus and who genuinely love each other. This next year, my encouragement would be a, make an intentional connection to pursue each other. And perhaps then pursue people outside of this room, whether it be whoever God puts in front of you, your coworkers and your neighbors, other friends, but making pursue people part of what you do. So really to close, I just want us to remind each other that we serve Jesus who loves us beyond what we can imagine, who would go to Samaria for us, and that we get to respond uh, to him despite ourselves. So to close, I have a benediction. Um, and it's, it's a benediction a guy named Brennan Manning, uh, an author, uh, would always say after he spoke. And I got this, and uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with what I, what I taught on um, at all. And, and, and it might not be for anyone here but, but me. And so if so, then, then that's okay for me. Um, but as you think through and you're doing goals, New Year's resolutions, if that's your thing, maybe this might be helpful to you as well. So would you stand with me as I read this? <laughs> May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and can sing and dance in the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.